0: Welcome to the official podcast of the Indianapolis Knights presented by Hoosier Kayak Bassin, the premier kayak bass fishing resource in the Hoosier State. This show is brought to you in part by TRC Covers, handcrafted American-made rod covers that float, and also by South Mountain Media. Transform your business. Now let's join the Knights at the Roundtable here is Indy Knights Head Coach and your host Sam Jones.
1: Check it out guys and gals, this is for all you anglers. Your rods and reels are one of the most expensive investments you make in fishing outside of the kayak and the boat um, and the electronics. It's the next most expensive investment you make and you got, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, 10, 11, 12, however many of these things lying around you need to protect them protect them with trc covers handcrafted american-made rod covers and reel covers uh, made in texas veteran owned and operated you you can't beat it trccovers.com they just dropped the price on all their rod covers by the way uh, which is which is a great thing i mean everyone else is raising their prices right now and trc covers is dropping them plus As a listener of this podcast and a fan of Indianapolis Knights, you get a 15% discount when you use code Indy15 at the checkout. Indy, I-N-D-Y, 15 at checkout. Uh, You get 15% off. They're already reasonably priced covers, and then they just dropped them. So, uh, huge savings. Why wouldn't you spend a couple bucks and protect, you know, $150 plus investment in your rod and reel? Go to trccovers.com right after listening to this podcast in order to use some covers and get your stuff protected before you start fishing again in 2022. Hoosierkayakbassin.com, the premier resource for all things kayak bass fishing in the Hoosier state. Make sure to check them out. If you're looking for tournament results, tournament updates, schedule releases, events, angler profiles, blogs, whatever it is. If it's about kayak bass fishing in the state of Indiana, HKB has it. Check them out at hoosierkayakbasset.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well at Hoosier Kayak Basset. This podcast is proudly presented by South Mountain Media. Transform and grow your business with South Mountain Media at southmtnmedia.com. That's southmtnmedia.com. Indy Nights Roundtable podcast is now available on most major podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Breaker, Overcast, whatever it is, you can now find the Indy Nights Roundtable podcast. Search it on your favorite platform and tune in and listen. Thank you for being a part of this and uh, and checking out our podcast. We appreciate it and we're so excited to now be streaming to all of your favorite platforms. Adam, Chip, welcome back to the show, guys. Glad to have you here tonight. Glad to be here, man.
2: Well, thank you, Sam. Happy to be here.
1: Adam, um, it's been a while since I've talked to you on uh, this podcast, I think. When was the last time we chatted?
0: Yeah, I think last time we chatted, it was, I think it was the first podcast we did. Yeah life you know life been busy working holidays just trying to get through it building up the old tackle box i hear that i hear that
1: chip we were talking before you said you've been doing uh doing a bunch of tackle prep yourself huh
2: i have yep i uh organized it then reorganized it probably organized (laughs) it again i've got the itch so
1: yeah I hear that. I hear that. I do too. Um, I need to get better lighting in my garage because I've come to realize unless it is daylight if my garage doors open, I can't see anything out there. So I need um, to get some better lighting so I can get out there at night and play around,
0: but it's too cold.
2: I, yes. I hate the cold.
0: It may be a little bit of old age. I too. have
2: a, it might be, it might yeah. be. I have a room. Like I I call it my fish room. So I have all my stuff in here and it's nice and 72 degrees right now and makes it Mm. makes it a lot easier.
1: I need that. Too many kids rolling around here, though, to have a (laughs) fishing room. I'm lucky to have an office. In fact, one of my youngest ones has been home all week and he's turned half my office into an art studio. He's uh, (laughs) two, almost three. He'll be three next month. And um, he's quite the little doodler
2: that's
1: awesome though hey did you guys see this uh wired to fish is where i i found it first 49 pound bag 49 pound single day limit caught uh i believe it was caught in florida Uh, a youtuber named mikey balls fishing
2: yep I follow him. I have not seen that that broadcast, but I saw the little clip of it on Facebook. I think it was, um, and I the two fish that he was holding up were just huge.
1: Oh, it's ridiculous, dude! Like he, <laughs> they started out the video. They're winding a big plug, right? I think it's a Strike King Ten XD. I think they're in Florida, if I'm not mistaken, and. They're out in the middle of nowhere, winding this 10XD and smashing them. Guy caught, I think the first fish was almost 10 pounds. And then they catch another nine-pounder and another nine-pounder. And they're doubling up on nine-pounders. Then they catch a 10-pounder. It's nuts. Absolutely insanity. All off of one spot. They show you on the the, the Lowrance um, unit, the, the the fish piled up down there. And they put up 49, 49 pounds. Uh, at the beginning of the video, they claim it's the largest limit ever caught on YouTube in one day from cast to catch. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, I've seen 50-pound bags um, in other places. But, yeah, it was it was insanity. All on a couple different colors of a uh, striking 10XD. So, if you haven't seen that, need to need
0: to check it out. Yeah,
2: that's I'm insane. looking forward to watching it.
0: Yeah, it's I'm it's a good I video. I haven't seen it. I follow Mikey Balls. I haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, I was doing um, I was doing some website work before the podcast, and I was scrolling looking for something, and I saw it on Wired to Fish, um, and I watched it. And I was I was entranced by it. You know, they, <laughs> they were, <laughs> as they were catching these giant fish. They were calling them all kinds of names, right? Like everyone's got big bass names, you know. Um what it was funny some of the things that they were saying. What 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 do you guys call when you catch like that that twenty one inch or that, that biggin, right? What do you guys call it? What are you shouting out? Donk. Donk.
2: Stud. Okay. Stud.
1: Stud. Yep. Yep. I think the guys in the south, right? Um you know, like Tennessee and and Alabama and Georgia and Florida, and they have always they're so creative with with their names. And I got to give some credit to the guys in the north too. You know, they 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 do well, but the guys in the south always have like the greatest names. I think we're kind of boring here in Indiana. It, just like everyone kind of says the same thing. You know, stud, uh, a big in, You know, uh, toad. What what was yours again, Adam? A donk donk. That's a, that's a good one. That's a, that's a dog. Uh, I think I just say big in most of the time. I don't know. I'm pretty boring, I guess. I, swamp donkey. Swamp donkey is one I use uh, a lot. So I don't know. It's kind of cool. Well, guys, tonight we're talking about breaking down new water. Um, and last week's podcast, I had Mike on, he's, you know, heading down to Florida, he's got to Florida today, actually. Um, we're recording this on, uh, Thursday, the 20th and this episode will drop next week. But, um, you know, I talked to Mike last week about his preparations for the tournament and going down there and that sort of thing a good segue into what i want to talk about tonight which is breaking down new water and everyone seems to do this a lot different i think the kayak space is kind of unique in the fact that you have a a melting pot of anglers anglers who are really brand new to fishing in general Um, a lot of brand new to just tournaments you've got guys who have only ever fished from a kayak or or the bank then you've got guys like adam and myself who have spent time both as co-anglers and in the front of the boat long before the kayak. Um, And it's, it's always interesting to me and fascinating to listen to people talk about breaking down new water paddle and fin podcast. uh, They've got lots of segments, people coming on and talking about this topic. I love watching stuff on Bass university about this. So I thought it'd be a cool conversation piece for us to have as a team. One thing I like about this podcast is as we talk about these things, you know, and and part of that is to create content and to bring content to our audience and grow our audience. Um, but the other part of it is that it's kind of underlying is we get to know each other better and we get to kind of learn more about each other and become a better team through, through this process. Um, and that's one of the underlying reasons that I do this with you guys. So Anyway, breaking down new water. Let's talk about that. Chip, Adam, where does it start for you guys? So, you know, it's uh, it's early in the year. We're all thinking about where we're going to fish. We were talking about it before the podcast, what events we're going to try and hit, and that sort of thing. So let's pretend we're in Mike's shoes and we won't use Florida, for example, but let's any other event. Where do you start? With your tournament, you know your new body of
0: water. You've never been there. Well, one of the main things I look for whenever I'm attacking a new body of water, um, I've always been a, uh, I've I've always beat the banks. I'm a bank. I'm. That's one of my first things I'll do. Uh, go to the bank. But earlier in the year, I will really look at points. And whenever I, I don't I don't just look at any point. Uh, the the main points that I really like to attack is I'll start on the uh, smaller points. You know how you got, you get your really steep points, and then you have some of them points that just go way out. And so what I normally like to do is I'll find them steep points uh, next to a creek channel, something like that. I, I try to stay within, that way I'm still kind of in my, I'm on the bank but in my head I'm thinking them fish as they start to move up they're gonna hit they're gonna come from that creek channel they're gonna come up and, and they're gonna slowly start working up to the bank so that's one of the main things and then uh, I also try to find hard bottom so I'll go out and I always have a heavy jig or a shaky head or something to where I can just I'll fish it, but really, I'm not necessarily out there looking for fish at that point. What I'm really doing is I'm I'm just trying to fill the bottom, I'm trying to find riprap, laydowns. Um, one of the other things that I really found is I look for points, but I also want to find some sort of structure on that point. You know, I don't want to hit a point and it's just nothing there. So again, that's why I'm throwing that jig or that shaky head. I'm just trying to find that structure, something to kind of catch them fish moving up. Nice. Okay. So do you,
1: do you do a lot of map study preparation or
0: do you just kind of Google earth it and say, Hey, this is where I want to go. I should probably do a little bit more than I actually do. But like I said, I'll look at uh, a map and I and I'll just I'll find them steep banks that's that's what I look for first thing I look for of course you see your Creek Channel but always that's my first go-to is them steep banks it just seems like I have the best luck on those other than you know I don't really is have that ever... year round is that uh, so the beginning of the year, I, that's whenever I really target them steep banks because I feel like them fish are going to start moving up and that's where you're going to find them now. Later in the year, you know, you get in the heat of the summer and stuff. I'm really looking for, I'm almost looking for them flats. I'm looking for them points, but I'm also looking for that point that comes out to big flats because them fish like to go out to the deeper water. They set out there, they, they want to ambush them fish coming in and out of the channel, um, but for the most part, I'm looking for the steeper ones. Heat of summer, I'm looking for a point leading to a good flat.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Chip, what's uh what's your strategy? Your guy, you know, is only ever really fished from the kayak, um, especially yeah. from a tournament standpoint. So how do you how I do like, you go about
2: it? I like to start with a map if I can. It depends on where I'm fishing. Um, a lot of the places that we go um, or bigger bodies of water, and it's it's easy to find a map. Um, so I'll start looking there, um, look at the breakdown. Another thing I like to look at is I use Google Earth and kind of get a visual. If I'm looking at a map, uh, I like to see structure on a map and, you know, different, different things that you look for that bass associate with. But then I like to follow that up with Google Earth, and so I can really see what I'm looking at. Um, mm. And we're fortunate, like I say, a lot of the places we fish, we have that available to us.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. I, so starting off uh, with breaking down new water, I'm very similar, I guess I would say to you guys. Um, new, new body of water, specifically, the first thing I'm going to do is look at a typical contour map. Um, and I'm going to break the lake down into three sections. I always do that no matter what size the lake is, I break it down into three sections. Uh, So upper middle, lower, typically speaking. And then from there, there are some, some key things I'm looking for, um, which I'll get into here in a second. But once I've broken that lake down into sections, I've, I've gotten a good like overview of how that lake sets up. Right. What, you know, um, some lakes have hardly any contour to them. Some have a ton of contour to them. You know what I'm saying? You know, you look at a Lake like, uh, Monroe here in Indiana, huh, before the latest update, it, the Navionics was terrible. I mean, there was no contour. The latest update has some more, it shows some things, but it's still for a Highland reservoir, Monroe's pretty, pretty flat. Like, I mean, it just doesn't have a lot of, uh, contour to it in most areas compared to like a table rock or something like that. But so I'll take a look at that and that kind of gives me a decent idea. And then i like to go to Google, Google earth, like you said, Chip, and that helps me because you know how on Google earth you can get like the above view. And then you can also get like the 3d view um, and Google earth pro. I don't know if you guys use Google earth pro or not, but um, you download that on your laptop or whatever. And that helps me when I, when I can see the bank and how the bank um, looks, you know, those valleys and, and, and peaks and, and the bluff walls and that sort of stuff. It helps me get a better visual and understanding of that lake so that the map makes more sense to me. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And I use YouTube as well. YouTube's great. I don't really care about what people are throwing on YouTube most of the time or where they're throwing it. I like watching YouTube because it gives me a better lay of the land. I can actually see the bank lines. I can see the watercolor and that sort of stuff. So I'm not even usually paying attention to what they're fishing. I'm mostly paying attention to the background scenery uh, to get a, a good look at that lake. So that's, that's kind of where I start. And then I get into breaking down those sections. So I've got my three sections of the lake, and then I try and find within each of those sections, similar items. So I'll kind of circle those uh, things. And like you said, Adam points, um, Creek channel bends. you know, it depends on the time of the year, obviously flats, that sort of stuff. But I like something you said, um, and I'm going to expand on that, Adam, is, is trying to find a point or a flat or whatever that has multiple things that a fish would want to hold to. I have this rule of three, um, and I kind of use that throughout my life. But I use this with my lake breakdown too. I'm always looking for something that has three characteristics I think will hold fish. So like you said, a flat a point and maybe that point has some rock on it or some submerged timber or a log pile or whatever. Um, I'm always looking for those things. If I'm going to like say a particular arm of the lake has bluff walls, Creek channels and, um, submerged timber or, you know, a vegetation type, a Creek channel and wood. I'm always looking for those areas that have three, Key things that are going to hold bass, because as a kayak angler, we can only break down so much water so fast. So we need to put yeah. the odds in our favor. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's that's the that's one of the biggest things. But I will also say, I feel like going coming from a boat and going to a kayak. You, you kind of on a boat, you kind of get in that mindset of, well, I got to cover water, cover water, cover water, cover water. Well. Whenever I got into a kayak, that's whenever I really understood, you know, how many fish I was actually going past. I mean, it really slows you down and allows you to break down water even further. You know, I thought I was breaking down water on the boat, but in a kayak, I can, I mean, I'll pick a place apart and sometimes I'll set it somewhere and i think me and you actually uh me and you got together one one day and we went out to uh one of the local lakes out at uh you know beaver bottom and you mm-hmm. sat there and you watched me go up and down what 30 yards of bushes i mean it was 30 yards and yeah. i stayed and i yeah. didn't i was not catching anything i sat there for an hour and then next thing you know well i caught a 20 21 inch just literally hitting the same spot now if i was in a boat chances are i would have went down that bank line and i would just kept going i would have found the next bank but with being in a kayak it just made me slow down and pick that apart and i've actually found a lot of success that way yeah i um
1: i still practice like i'm in a bass boat tournament day I fish like I'm in a kayak, and I do exactly what you just said. I pick something apart. In fact, there's been many times where I fish a singular spot all day and mm-hmm. from a kayak. I don't leave it. I have a point, a log pile, uh, a particular bush or lay down. Um, you know, I in fact, honestly, when I look back at my biggest successes from a tournament standpoint, I was fishing a singular spot. Siak championship. I never left. I literally made the same cast for eight hours. Well, no, that's not true. In the morning I was throwing a buzz bait and goofing off or whatever. But by the second hour I was on a spot and I stayed there all day. I only caught five fish, but I won the championship. Uh, the success I've had at Monroe all on one bank or one spot. Um, did really well in the kbf flw cup i fished one thing all day you know what i'm saying yeah but you when i practice so- i put in 15 miles a day in practice like i do not <laughs> i do not make a bunch of cast i hardly cast lot. at all yeah i i put in i'll fish you know in the summertime or well even in the late spring when we have a, we have a full day of practice and a full day of sun um I get up in the morning and I'll go till dark and I'll just be on the trolling motor the whole time. Uh, now that's a difference too, right? Do you have a trolling motor? Do you have pedals? That kind of thing. Yeah. But, but I'll put in 10 to 15 miles and hardly make any cast. Cause all I'm doing is looking for stuff on my graph, marking things. I'll make a cast here and there, see if I get bit, but I'm not, I'm not trying to catch fish.
0: See. And I think that's another big key to a lot of people's success and being able to break down water is learning your electronics. You know, I didn't really... I, I ran electronics for a while and really didn't even know how to use them for the first couple years of me even having them. Mm. But once you really figure out your electronics and get them dialed in and stuff, it, it it's having the confidence of... You know, it's easy to get a fish finder and go out and, and, and see fish on your fish finder, but it's another thing to see fish and be confident that those are the right fish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the trick, and a lot of people do struggle with that. A lot of people, let's just face it, a lot of people struggle with even being able to understand with when they're seeing fish on a graph, right? Yeah. At at the begin, you know, when you start to get into it. And then the progression is, okay, I know there's fish there, but I don't really know what kind of fish they are. And then you get to the point where you, you kind of know what fish you're looking at. And then you get to the point where you're like, okay, you know, I can kind of get an idea of the size here. You, Mm -hmm. you still never really know until you make a cast and catch one or two. Um, but you, you can definitely, once you start to really hone in on how to use traditional, side and down scan appropriately you can really start to hone in what size fish you're looking at um but it it it's it's not natural you know naturally guys just want to go out cast and catch fish Mm -hmm. versus really focusing in on the on the details on the screen so chip are you are you a big electronics guy i know you're kind of a shallow fisherman too
2: yeah no i'm not um i i have them i i do use them um but Probably not to the degree that I should be, but, um, I, the, the style of fishing that I enjoy lends itself, I I don't need them as much, I think. Um, but having said that also, uh, there are things I'd like to get better at and having a better understanding of my electronics would enable me to do that would make me a better fisherman.
1: Absolutely. What's like, so... What do you consider deep fishing this isn't always an interesting topic right so what do you consider deep water
2: uh it, it depends on where you're fishing um you know what okay. what the lake is like but um uh, anything about 10 feet and deeper is deep to me
1: okay all right see i like that so you know you'll have guys will say hey if i if i'm deeper than three foot it's deep you know, or five foot (laughs) or six foot or eight foot, whatever. Everyone's got a different answer to that. But, uh, uh, generally, you know, shallow water guys like to be in less than 10 foot of water, 10 foot's like that's where their boat's at. You know, they don't, they don't really cast. (laughs) They don't cast into 10 foot often. They cast at the bank and they may drag it out to their boat in 10 foot of water. But Yeah. yeah, I was curious. And, and, and the shallow guys are, um, less inclined to use the graph and often know less about the graph which makes sense i mean that's what you do and and there's something to be said for being a shallow water fisherman right now because so many people are getting educated on how to use the electronics and using using that stuff out deep those fish are getting more and more pressured and we're learning a lot about that with live scope um live scope has really opened our eyes to you know how fish react to a boat and and graphs and electronics pinging around them so you know we saw last two years really on the pro series national pro series um on the bass boat side the shallow guys really start to do well again it seemed like there for some years if you weren't looking at a screen out deep offshore fishing you weren't you weren't doing well, but that seems to be kind of changing back now. Um, which is interesting. Live scope in itself and breaking down water with live scope could be its own show. I I don't have it. I haven't, haven't made that step yet. Um, I think Jason has it. Um, we getting it. I think he's the only person. Technology. Yeah. I know he's thinking about it. So, that that's a, that's a whole nother beast. Um, Chip, do you, when you're, when we're talking about a new body of water, not one you've been to, right. But a new body of water, how, how do you decide where you're going to, how much water you're going to try and cover? I guess I should say. So you've looked at the map, you've done the YouTube, whatever. And you say, okay, I want to go fish here, here and here. How, how many different areas are you trying to break down
2: well i think a lot of it depends on you know <clears throat> the access to the lake you know i have to look at boat ramps where i can get in and then what structures that i'm comfortable fishing with i think when adam was talking earlier about um you know covering a bunch of water and and finding different areas and and you were talking about your three breakdown three area breakdown um I think when I'm looking at a new lake in particular, I'm, I want to find places that I'm comfortable to fish the style of, of fishing that, I'm, that I enjoy. And so I'm going to start looking at my access, then I'm looking at what is in that area, and then I'm looking at what, what I consider to be my strengths or my favorite things to fish if they're within that area. And hmm. I'm trying to break it down that way.
1: You know, a, uh, a a common thing I see a lot of the seasoned guys do, and even some of the newer guys on the kayak space, is uh, doing the ramp check. So when you get to a new body of water, driving to spending hours sometimes, driving to every ramp um, that you can find to take a look, not actually loading the boat or anything, but just getting out, walking around, taking a look. That's the equivalent, I guess, to, you know, being in the bass boat and doing doing a little tour of the lake and just doing a, a big run and seeing what's out there. Do you guys do that? Is that is that a part of your strategy is to go and, I, and do the ramp check?
0: You know, I don't really do a ramp check. Now, one thing you saying that kind of reminded me of a big thing that I'm I'm huge on the wind. Now Whenever I go to a body of water, wherever that wind's blowing, that's where I'm going. First thing, always. I'm always looking for that where that wind is pushing the water up against the bank. That Ding! Pro tip right there. <laughs> yeah, big pro tip. That's huge to me. It's, the wind. It's, that wind is key I a think lot of these wind, bodies of water.
1: Yeah, the wind can be probably the most powerful element when it comes to fishing in my mind outside of a a major cold front Mm -hmm. which is usually accompanied by wind and plays a part but uh yeah wind is so key um
0: when you're on any body of water well and wind brings current and current brings bites i mean let's be honest
1: yeah it sets the fish up i mean that's that's an important part of this whole thing like and you talk about breaking down new water what time of year is it you know, what bank in the spring you want banks that are gonna be the warmest, right? That get the most sunlight throughout the day. Um, you know, that are most likely to have fishing staged up on them. Um the wind, like you said, and that's gonna move the bait around, uh, create current, all that kind of stuff. That's all important. Uh, getting back to the, the question that led to that though, Chip, are you a are you a ramp checker?
2: I am. Um, I like to see as many as I can. Um, because if you're, if you're in an area and you're not doing well, um, it's always nice to have another couple spots that you can throw your stuff on and just head to another, another location. Um, so I do, I, I enjoy, like you said, you'd be out all day driving, mapping, things like that. Um, I like going to different ramps and seeing what the water's like at those ramps.
1: Yeah. I I do it a little bit. I don't get too carried away with it. I'm not one of those guys that'll spend an entire day of practice on a bigger body of water, like a Gunnersville, a table rock, um, something like that. Going and checking every, every single, every single ramp, but I will hit quite a few, you know, especially if I'm looking to see water clarity, um, you know, as that changes throughout the lake, uh, you know, just kind of the general makeup, you know, you go to some lakes and one end of it will be kind of flat and have a lot of wood and timber and the bottom end of it will be super clear and rocky, you know, those sort of things. I, another thing I do, especially in the springtime is, is temperature. I don't know if you guys do this or not, but I'll, I'll just go to check temperature. It, rather, that means just back in the kayak and t- on the trailer into the water and letting it sit there for a minute and read it. I've even been known to grab my, you know, my pod from my SS 127 and just hang it in the water. Um, and let it temper temperature there and, and, and read that. But that's another big thing. I just always, you
0: know, where's that warm water at? So, well, another thing, thing I'm, with, I'm sorry, Adam, go ahead. Uh, biggest thing, you know, whenever I pull up to a ramp, number one thing I'm really looking at as, as me is, uh, pressure you know you can you can also tell where a lot of the pressure is coming from on that body of water
1: yeah i i like to avoid people yeah yeah i I don't i don't fish well when i have other people around me
0: and that's not because you yeah you you don't want to be around a bunch of bass boats i mean no
1: it just drives me it drives me nuts i could be on you know, no, I'm on winning fish. And the only thing I'll be thinking about is the other people around me. It's just part of, part of my makeup on something I'm trying to work on for sure. But I definitely try to find those things. Other people aren't finding or fishing get away from the crowds. It's where right. I, I do my best. Something kind of came to mind just now. Um, one thing that's different in the kayak space is we often will fish tournaments that allow you to fish multiple bodies of water. So, you know, for example, Mike and them down in Florida right now, they've got 10 lakes to choose from. They're a chain of lakes for the most part, but sometimes we go to tournaments in the kayak space where they're not even connected bodies of water, you know, like uh, the, the NC that you were just at, Chip. Down there, you have multiple different lakes to choose from. That throws an interesting twist into this whole breaking down new water thing. How do, how do you tackle that? How do you decide what what lake you're going to fish? Do
2: you fish, do you launch on every one of them? What do you do there, Chip? No, you I don't think you can effectively have a you cannot have an effective game plan if you're trying to launch on every different lake. I think you have to look at at the lake if you can with a map, see what you're looking at. See what your strengths are, where you can fish to those strengths, and then um, I think you do need to hit. You want more if if you're not going to leave that body of water. Say for instance, Caddo. If you know you're going to stay on Caddo at this year's national championship, then you do need to find several ramps <clears throat> that you can that you can get to, or um, or spend all day just trying to cover water. But I think that's, that's another advantage of the ramp hopping is you can one ramp. When you let in, you can find cypress trees. As far as you can see the next ramp, you'll find lily pads and, you know, you'll have different mm. environments at each ramp. So that right. <clears throat> only enhances your options when you get there. So.
1: Yeah. Well, you it's like certain lakes, it's, it's large mouth and, one section of the lake and the other section of the lake is spotted bass are the primary species. So that's all important too. knowing what you want to fish for. All right, well, let's get into, let's get into techniques um, a little bit here. So breaking down new water first time on the lake, what are some um, your go-to search baits, if you will? breaking down new water and of course it depends obviously if you're in florida you're not throwing a dt10 you know in in two foot of water on Kissimmee. but you know l- let's talk mostly you know midwest and the typical tennessee uh river stuff that we fish on a regular basis here what are like what are your go-to early
0: surf- uh spring of the year you know when that water is starting to warm up and stuff i'm really looking i'm I'm fishing a lot of my movement baits, swim baits, uh, chatter baits, um, stuff like that. But I'd say one of the, I, like I said at the start of the podcast, uh, my biggest thing is jig. I'm a huge jig fisherman. I mean, just always trying to drag, feel something. And, um, I think that's do you my, start with
1: a heavy jig? Then you're throwing a half ounce, three quarter ounce. You no, know, I don't ball jig, flipping jig.
0: Like, what do you do? I don't. I now, if I'm hitting bank, it's flipping jig all day long. Um, I'm skipping that thing into the bushes, up under trees, trying to get it as deep into that cover as I possibly can. But uh, I honestly, I don't fish as heavy as a lot of guys do. Some of these guys will throw one ounce jigs and stuff like that. I've I've just never never been real comfortable throwing a real heavy jig. I think a half ounce, three-quarter ounce if the wind's blowing and I'm fishing deep water, that's, that's really what depicts the most on how heavy I'm throwing is if the wind's real strong and stuff and I'm fishing real deep water, that's about the only time I'll really go up above a half ounce. But for the most part, I'm looking at three-eighths to a half. I like that. I like to have kind of that. Slow fall, you know what I mean. I I feel like, and you do that. You do that in practice, like breaking down new water.
1: That's part of your. That's part of your strategy for you know covering water and searching and looking,
0: looking for a, looking for a pattern. Oh yeah, because I mean, like I said the whole time, I'm 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 looking for hard bottom as well, and that's one of the. I mean, put you some, put you a jig on some braid or something, and, and. drag it on that bottom you can feel everything you know i mean interesting i can you know a good rod Mm. in your hand i mean you can tell is that rock is that is that wood you know Mm. is is that some sort of structure man-made structure most of the time i can tell and that will um rock is my biggest confidence if i if i can feel Mm. rock that's more than like you're in the
1: zone huh
0: yeah yeah that's that's
1: nice that's where i'm going chip i know you're a a jig fisherman you just and and if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't seen it yet uh jig did a or jig chip (laughs) did a nice uh little write-up on just some really simple like basic beginner steps right to to get started in jig fishing things uh things you should try if you're just starting to pick up the jig or you want to pick up the jig uh if you're a if you're a you know, pro jig fisherman is probably not going to be as, as interesting. But for for those of you that are thinking about getting into the jig, great write up from Chip. Check that out, indynightsfishing under the blog section. You'll see that there. Chip, uh, obviously you wrote that. You're you're a jig guy. Are you the same way? You you like to have that on for breaking down new water?
2: Yeah, I I do. I, like Adam said, a jig is it helps you find. Get a vision of what's under the water. Um, and then I think a lot of guys, like you said, you don't you may not throw a rod when you're pre-fishing or breaking down new water when you first get out mm-hmm. there, but I like to catch a fish when I'm mm-hmm. finding new water, when I'm exploring things. It, maybe it's just the mental thing that I gotta know they're there and and i I don't 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 think it hurts you as much as people will, will tell you that it does. Now, if you're going out and catching as many fish as you can, that's one thing. But I think it's important for me to catch a fish where I'm at and a jig, you can almost always catch a fish on a jig. Um, so yeah, it helps. I think if in your confidence and then like Adam says, you can feel a lot about the bottom throwing a jig, but I really, in the beginning, I'm throwing a chatterbait or a swimbait, mm-hmm. something like that. that, that I can cover a lot of different areas of the lake. It, you know, those things work right. well in so many different places. So you can't, you can't go wrong with any of those three things.
1: Yeah. I, I don't disagree. I, I think it is important to catch a fish. Um, I don't like to catch a lot of fish and you know, once I, once I've caught a couple in an area, um, especially if they have any size to them, you know, if I catch a 17 inch fish in the area and I get another bite or two, you know, if I'm catching 17s, I'm pretty happy. Like that's a, that's a solid limit. And the chances of there being an 18, 19, 20 in there are fairly good. Um, if I'm catching 12, 13s, I honestly don't care how many of those I smack. Um, I'm not going to blow out a single spot. Right. I mean, need to rely on those just to get a limit, but, um, but once, once I start getting over 16 inches, I, I don't want to catch them um, personally, more than one. But no. I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I like the jig for breaking down new water because of that reason. I can catch one on it, and then a jig is a really easy bait to get bit on to kind of feel the weight of a fish and shake them off. You, you know, it's hard to do that on a moving bait like a crankbait um a jackhammer now there's some there's some things you can do which we can talk about i don't want to make this all about jig fishing and and that but that's another episode we can do but you know like throwing a chatterbait obviously you have chatterbaits that you've caught a lot of fish on and the hooks you can sharpen them but at some point they start to roll and get dull i keep them i and i I cut the i cut the tips of them off and then that's what i use for my practice jackhammers um that's and, and same thing with a crankbait, you know. Um there's there's things that you can do to prevent fish from hanging up on a crankbait, um, on a jig, you know. Uh for example, I use wicked weights, tungsten jigs a lot, and they come with one of those little plastic uh point protectors on them. You guys have seen those? Yeah. Uh, I think I think Z Man does them on the jackhammer's and strike King. every company does, right? I, I keep those and i put those on in practice so that it, it prevents the hook from, from penetrating on a fish. Um, Cause I think there's a really good chance of you going back and catching that fish on tournament day with that same technique, if conditions don't change, but if you do put a hook in it, your odds, I think go way down. Now it's not impossible, especially, you know, in the spring, they're super aggressive bed fish that's schooling fish, that sort of thing. You can catch them again. But when t- conditions are a little bit tougher, average to tough. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think the jig's good. The chatter bait, everybody knows chatter bait, jackhammer, bladed jig, whatever you prefer, thunder cricket, whatever, um, is a great search bait. Is there anything else, though, that you guys do that maybe is um, unorthodox or not obvious? No
2: I don't know if it's unorthodox, but I like to throw a lipless crankbait a lot Um, because you can cover a lot of water. And then if you, if you're catching fish or you get hit on that, now you can't shake those off as easily, but um, you know, it, it, it at least lets you know there's fish there and then you can slow down and fish it more thoroughly. But I do enjoy throwing a lipless.
1: I love how versatile those things are. You talk about the jig being versatile being able to fish that you can fish a jig from the top of the water column to the bottom, right? You can fish it a bunch of different ways. And you talk about that a little bit in your blog and part of one of your tips. The lipless crankbait to me is a lot like that. You can burn that sucker. You can hop it. You can drag it. I don't know. A lot of people don't talk about that, but one of the best ways to throw, especially in cold water, lipless crankbait is just to just barely move it on the bottom. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, so I like a lipless crankbait too. That's a good one.
0: What about you, the Adam? Yo yo-yo. yo. The yo yo-yo yo is my go to with a lipless. That
1: that is by far I think the most productive technique with with a uh, with a lipless crankbait. And oddly enough, it's a great it's one of my favorite techniques with the jackhammer too.
0: So You know, I actually started trying that and I haven't done it enough. I just don't have my confidence in it, but I've for some reason a chatterbait I've just always you know a good retrieve kind of plucked it a couple times on your retrieve you know but that's one thing that I wanted to really start trying to do this year and that's yo-yoing a jackhammer hey I'm gonna give it away right here so this is why you should listen to
1: the Indianapolis Knights roundtable podcast because I'm giving away juice almost every fish over 18 inches that I've caught on Monroe, has come from yo-yoing either a lipless crankbait or a jackhammer, or jig. They love it yo-yoed. It just imitates a dying shad so well. Yep, that's my idea uh, behind it. But that being said, I've caught a lot of fish on Monroe in other places. Slowly
0: rolling, slowly dragging similar baits i think that's my Um, biggest that that's my uh one of my biggest keys to whenever i'm working a chatterbait is i work it a lot slower than mm. a lot of guys um which is one of the main reasons that i'm so big on the z-man jackhammer specifically is just because you can literally roll that thing so slow and still get that that thump you know yeah yeah a little head bang that, that's Absolutely. really what i'm looking for is when i throw that thing out i take it and know and i'm literally rolling it just fast enough to get that blade going That that's about as fast as i'm going with it now now there's certain situations where you burn it and stuff like that but for the most part that's really what i'm looking for is just throw that thing out and just just work it just enough to get that thing going yeah so it sounds like
1: you guys are mostly power fishermen though when it comes to pre-fishing
0: yeah yeah i mean when i'm pre-fishing i'm not looking to really i mean i'm out there learning the water i'm breaking it down but i'm not looking to really pick them fish apart or anything and i feel like you get out there and you know, power fishing it, allow, it allows you to kind of, you know, cover water, but it also allows you to stay moving to where you don't set on a school of fish, you know, and mm-hmm. catch multiple ones out of that school. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. You
1: hear a lot of guys, though, in the kayak space that are just like throwing the Ned rig all day long
0: in practice. I <sighs> just can't do that. <laughs> oh, man. I hate that. that I have a love hate relationship with that thing. You know,
1: yeah, I I gained some confidence in it um, this last year. Throwing a bigger version of it, like the real little ones that guys throw, I just can't get into that. But throwing a bigger version of it. Matt Kiefer, another guy here in Indiana, he did a blog for, um, for HKB that I put out today actually talking about how he kind of fell in love with that, that big TRD, fishing that. Um, this year it is a productive bait don't get me wrong i just and i'll do it especially in a tournament situation if need be but i hate to i hate to i'd much rather and and honestly this is probably from from like pre-spawn late pre-spawn through fall my absolute favorite breaking down new bait new water bait and that's a buzz bait i love practicing with a buzz bait.
2: Yeah, I was going to say not buzz bait for me, but I was going to say um, the um, the river to see the whopper plopper.
1: The whopper that, plopper. Yeah, absolutely. The, you I throw think it's interchangeable there.
2: Yes, yes. And you know that they just catch fish.
0: And yeah. and well, they, tell,
2: they help you find where the fish are. You do you do exactly of do you do a retrieve with your whopper plopper or do you work it like a spook? um I'm pretty much a straight retrieve right. I don't mess around with it I just throw it out and bring it back in
1: yeah I like the whopper plopper too get too I get too many hookups on that though I think i you know I, that's why I like the buzz bait because I can put that horny toad on there and 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 let them hit it but not yeah. not catch them a lot you can speed it up real quick when they start to blow up on it, get it away from them, that sort of thing. But it does, it shows you where the fish are and kind of the newer version of this, right? Um, there's a lot of videos out there. A lot of the pros are starting to do this. is throwing big swim baits in practice, glide baits, um, to locate fish, especially on clear bodies of water. That's typically when you throw a swim bait anyway, but they're using big swim baits to locate bass. Um, in practice, you know, don't glide bait around docks and stuff and pulling those, because those big bass, they'll just kind of follow it out and they won't commit to it. Right. And I'm talking big, I'm talking like eight inch, 10 inch swim baits. or and bigger, those follow that swim bait out. You get to see them and then they turn around and go back where they came from. And you come back on tournament day and toss, toss a jig at it. You guys ever tried that? You guys play with that technique at all?
0: Yeah, I do. I, I, I have, I don't do it a lot. I should probably do it a little bit more than I do, but uh, I I do use a big swim bait at times to get them followers, just to just to see what's out there. And sometimes, man, some of them big swim baits. It just I've seen some giants. <laughs> I mean, plumb big big old giants just follow that thing, and it. it there's nothing more that gets my heart racing than seeing a big fish follow a big swim bait. I love it. Yeah, it's so
1: hard to have enough control not to try and catch them when they're doing that in practice. <laughs> but, um, you know, it it's one of those things where you're going to get a lot more followers than you do takers on those baits anyway. But that definitely cue into where uh, some big ones lie. Chip, is that something that you've uh, played with at all? No,
2: no, I really haven't. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like they should.
1: Yeah. yeah, man. Get you a big swim bait rod and a big glide bait. And you can get some fairly inexpensive glide baits now, like that Storm Arashi uh glide bait. I think that's like twenty something dollars, thirty bucks. Well, uh um, six,
0: six cents has got the draw and the uh, yeah, what the trace and the draw? Yeah, six cents has them. I mean,
1: there's they're starting to become it used to be, I mean, to get a glide bait under 50 bucks was phenomenal. Uh, now you're starting to see that come down, but good bl- guide glide baits, if I could talk, um, or hundreds of dollars, you know, but, uh, the river to see S waiver, um, not super expensive either. So there's some, some good options when it comes to big s- swim baits in the glide category, uh, that aren't, uh, gonna bake, break the bank. Um, uh, but yeah, great another great way to break down new water and find out what lives there. Um, if, especially if you don't want to spend time, ton of time on the graph or you want to fish around docks and that sort of stuff and you don't have life scope.
0: Yep. Speaking of swim baits, I've also started, uh, I'll put a, uh, I'll put a small swim bait on a net head. I've, I've started really enjoying that and that seems to, and that kind of falls under that, that yo-yo technique. That, that, I mean, it just gets bit.
1: Yeah. I think, like, my first year in the kayak, uh, 2000, uh, tournament fishing was, like, 2019. I think I never, I never went a tournament, went in into a tournament practice or fished a tournament without having a underspin in my hand. I was always... Throwing the wicked willow from wicked weights. Well, you, you turned with, me on to
0: that wicked that that wicked willow underspin. I, that that thing is killer. I have a designated rod
1: for it. Literally, unless I'm in a pinch, there's nothing else that gets tied on that because it's just that much of a confidence bait. I, I can throw a three seven five or a, up to a four and a half inch swim bait on those. I mean, you could throw bigger, but I'm just saying that's what I like to throw. And it's just it's my Ned rig, right? It's it's the thing that no matter what I'm doing, if I just can't figure anything out. I'm gonna pick that up, and I'm instead of cranking a square bill or whatever, I'm I'm or jackhammer. I'm gonna go throw that.
0: Now, are you yo-yoing those as well?
1: I sometimes, you know, when I don't have something keyed in, I don't have something figured out. You know, I'll try different things, but typically it's just kind of a. Like fishing a crankbait or anything else, just right. kind of throw it out. And I want to get it at a certain depth range and just reel it back at a consistent speed. But, um, but yeah, that's another great way to break down water there, too. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's one bait that I have a lot of confidence in. And that's, that's a good thing to bring up. You know, breaking down new water is a lot about finding the areas that are going to suit your your fishing style where you're going to have confidence in and fishing the base that you're going to have
0: confidence in um but yeah swim baits are such a good one one thing we haven't really discussed either is uh grass swim baits and stuff i love ripping one through grass man you get some of them bass set up in, in those grass patches and you rip a swim bait actually they uh the where I won M V P last year in the uh, KFL home game on uh I uh that's exactly what I was doing. I was throwing that jackhammer out and I was throwing it I mean thick. It was thick grass. And yeah. it was it was I was making a cast and it literally I maybe only had five or ten feet in my cast to where my bait wasn't just balled up with grass all over it. But when you I just jerk, I just jerk it through there man and every once in a while you just get that reaction bite and they were just hammering it.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have to do a podcast on grass fishing um in general because there's there's so much to that like breaking down a grass lake a lot different than it know, is. We're just talking about kind of like the overall topic of breaking down new water but you know I love grass fishing obviously most of us do um here in the Midwest but yeah it's funny the, the places that are hardest
2: to fish typically are the most rewarding, right? Would you agree with that, Chip? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um and I think being from the Midwest, we have to have a lot of different styles and, you know, swim bait, jackham. I mean, there's so many different baits that we that we have to use to find fish, and that all plays into that um th- like like we've said, Adam just said, you know, there's there's nothing better than fishing heavy grass and ripping a jackhammer through it, or a swim bait or whatever. And um, but then you find a pocket and throw a worm in there or a jig, and you're you're striking gold there too. So I love I love a grass lake. Nice, yeah, me too,
1: me too. Well, guys, let's uh, let's start to wind things down here. Uh, before we close it out, though what's uh let's talk about like number one tip for someone who is getting into kayak bass fishing tournaments fishing specifically um i guess it doesn't matter somebody's breaking down new water for the first time what's your what's your number one tip for that person
2: chip i'll let you start off depends on the lake if it's a big lake and you have a map check your map out google earth it um but if it's if it's a smaller lake and and you know, it's a a local area Um, visually just pay attention to what you're fishing, what is there, uh, what you can see underneath, what you can see on top. Um, Just look around.
1: Yeah. Use the visual cues to find uh, what you need to find. So from the map side of things though, like for someone who, you know, doesn't have a ton of map study knowledge what what is something they should try and key in on uh, when breaking down?
2: I think for me, I, I would recommend knowing what your strengths are and try and find areas on that lake through that map that show you where those areas of your strength are. So you're looking for places that you're confident in the baits that you're fishing. Um, you're looking for structure, certain types of structure, like – You've joked with me before about fishing bridges. I love to fish a bridge. So I'm looking at bridges. I'm looking at rock piles. I'm looking at riprap. I mean, things that you can see on a map that you know ahead of time, okay, that's where I'm going to start. That's what I'm going to look for because I think fish are going to be there.
1: Yeah, so to sum all that up, right? No matter where you're going, big lake, small lake river, try and find something that is similar to you know things that you typically like to fish things that you're typically confident about start there and then expand from there is that what you're getting at yes yep exactly that's a great tip yeah absolutely i think i agree with that 100 start find something that you feel a little bit comfortable with that's something like home and then expand from there good tip adam what about you my
0: biggest tip is slow down just slow down learn wherever you're fishing at learn your area break it down and just don't automatically assume when you come to an area and you don't get bit that there's not fish there because i guarantee you they're there there's so many fish in a hole of water people some people don't even understand how much fish is in a body of water sometimes but that that's the biggest thing that I use in my fishing and I'm still working on it today is just slowing down and getting the confidence in being in an area and knowing that they're there and trying to figure it out. Don't just automatically assume they're not there because you're not getting bit. Stay there and try to figure it out.
1: What's a good rule of thumb? Like how much time should I spend? So I've done everything we talked about tonight. I, I did the map study. I've, I've looked around the lake. I've watched some YouTube. Um, I've got a good understanding of the body of the water, right? And I found this juicy looking point. I know it's got some rock down there. I felt it with the jig. Um, there's a flat on one side of it, Creek Channel Bend on the other side of it. It's a, It's a good spot. I know there should be fish here. I even see some stuff on my graph. I don't exactly know what it is, but I see some stuff in my graph. How? What's a good rule of thumb? How long should I stay there? You're talking about Me, slowing down.
0: I, I'm, I'm putting an hour in. I'm putting an hour in, and uh, whether I get bit or catch one, I, I honestly I'm just looking for that bite. I need a bite. Mm. You know, if I don't get a bit in that hour, then I'm moving on to the next one. But and, and then like and then again, if you do get bit, um, not, you know, not necessarily if you're pre-fishing or whatever. But you know, I, I'm I'm kind of assuming like tournament situation. If you get bit, stay there. They're there. You know, don't spend all day there. If you're if you just get one bite and and then that's it. Of course, you you, you, you probably need to move because then fish is probably moved. But I mean, within the hour, if you get bit. Just just take another fifteen minutes or so, change it up, change the lure, change change something and try to figure it out. And then if if it doesn't end up working out, then move. But yeah, I, I'm I'm looking at spending an hour in a spot that I'm confident in.
1: Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think for me, if I'm gonna say my biggest tip, man, it's just um Yeah, you know, there's so many ways, there's so many styles. And, you know, even just listening to you now, there's a lot of differences in the way that you and I would uh, w- would tackle a situation. I I like to see as much of the water as I possibly can see. If I get bit on a stump in six foot of water, I'm going to go and try and find as many stumps in six foot of water as I can find. Right. Um. But what, I, what I'm going to say my biggest tip will be for breaking down new water, which is in this practice category, right, is, is that once you find something that works, look for more of it. Look for a lot more of it. Um, rather that's, you know, a particular type of point or windblown bank or rock or whatever, riprap, Um uh, you know a dock in a certain depth of water right you know you you find fishing on the outside of a dock in 15 foot of water but you don't get bit in 10 or eight go find every dock you can in 15 foot of water um, that's uh that would be my biggest tip i think is just try to duplicate that success and is in, in in as many places as you can um, And then, you know, have a backup too, though, right? You got to have a backup plan, Uh, conditions change, that sort of thing. So second tip on top of that is look at the weather. Look at the weather patterns, what the weather's been like before you get there, uh, what the weather's going to be like while you're there, and uh, be prepared for those changes. But, yeah, duplicate success. That's my tip. All right, guys, is there anything we didn't talk about that we should? I'm sure there's lots of things actually
2: <laughs> no I think we we were we covered a lot of territory,
1: yeah, covering a lot of territory that's that's part of my strategy right there there
2: you go, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, we definitely we're gonna have
0: to, I think we definitely need to do some uh do one on some jig fishing because i i I mean right now even right now we're doing this and i'm sitting here thinking all these like (laughs) jig tips that i got it's like it's not about jigs (laughs) But, but right yeah it's
1: well maybe we'll have to do a bonus segment after this on on jigs um but i agree we will we'll talk about jigs we'll talk about grass fishing we'll talk about finesse fishing and everything else um throughout the uh the season yeah, soon we'll be getting into tournament recaps and all that kind of stuff as well. But a uh, lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about over the coming weeks, months, years, hopefully. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on with me again tonight. It's been fun. We're going to start getting in some faces and personalities outside of the Indy Knights organization. i got a couple of people in mind to bring on here soon, uh, but it's always fun chatting with you guys. Um, appreciate you so much and we'll see you on the next uh episode here at the roundtable appreciate awesome. you having me man
0: hey yeah, looking to, play forward off, to, it. to play off of earlier what you said what would you say what did you say um, uh that's what some i said of your yeah. most difficult bodies of water they're most rewarding yeah so so does that mean that you're gonna be out at brush creek this year or <laughs> i'm
1: just gonna edit that whole part out you know what i mean you know what I mean make fun of you on this podcast oh man no uh brush creek uh probably not no i, I don't I, think I so i think so i'm maybe once just for fun you and i um uh, early in the year
0: oh uh, dude it's such a good place like march early yeah. april oh my goodness yeah i mean we that place
1: yeah, everybody, go check out Brush Creek, awesome lake in southern Indiana. Uh, just head down 65 or up 65, and uh, cut over. Find yourself Brush Creek, most amazing fishery
2: in the state of Indiana.
0: Well said. <laughs> See Adam, not... that's why
2: you—that's why you, <laughs> you never you never mess with the host of a podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, hashtag you lose. not.
0: Yeah. you watch he's gonna come out and have one of the best days of fishing he ever had and it's gonna change his mind and then he's gonna yeah, be go- he's gonna be going for AOI before the year's over with you watch
1: you know i'm sitting here thinking and i don't recall ever catching a fish on that lake ever you got a slow down once caught
2: i've you seen big ones maybe, maybe.
1: <laughs> i'll have to try we'll, we'll you see you
2: know sam just go back and listen to this podcast and you'll be all set ready to go
1: yeah there you go. There you go. All right, guys. Well, you guys know where I'll be going. Brush Creek. Try and break it <laughs> Brush Creek. If you guys want to hang out with any of the Indianapolis Knights and go fishing? Hit me up. We'll go to Brush, C- Brush Creek. Can't even say it. Oh, it brings me so much pain. <laughs> Every time I go there, I don't catch anything, but somebody always, always catches a giant in front of me. It's the one lake I just have. It's like smallmouth. Can't catch smallmouth either
0: yeah i'm with you on that one
1: all right guys that's it we'll see you guys on the next podcast round see ya
2: thanks Man. take care